Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2020. My name is Amato, and with me are... Tori. And Dom. And I've got to say, today, I had a lot of technical difficulties <laughs> that we're trying to bypass here. Mm-hmm. It would have been really nice if one of you had known about this yesterday. I know. <laughs> if only it was newsworthy, then my newspaper that I get a day early would have told me. <laughs> then the, if- the bl- blog that I get delivered by a ferret outside my door every day. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get a blog delivered? <laughs> I don't know. News, print news is dead. What, what do you want me to do? <laughs> well, I can easily imagine an early edition reboot where mm-hmm. you just get tomorrow's Twitter feed through the oh, course of the day. That's it. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> but the problem is, oh, no. You know what? I was like, it wouldn't come with a cat. But of course it would, because cats are all over the internet. You'd get tomorrow's <laughs> cat memes today. Exactly. Yes, it would come with a cat meme each time, but it would be like a future cat meme. <laughs> so it's like bread cat sitting on top of a stack of printed out tweets. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think this idea anyway. has legs. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we talking about tomorrow's news and cats, Amato? Oh, it's because I am completely catering to you two specifically and we are doing an early edition fanfic today as opposed to a late edition fanfic or a (laughs) yeah (laughs) something like that what is early edition amato i don't know you tell me (laughs) i've never heard of watch one episode in preparation (laughs) i actually did watch the first part of um one episode which is about all i had time for with small children right and it was like the first episode i found that was not the pilot and was a specific episode that i could identify on youtube so that was season four episode 11 uh Mm. rose where there's like an amnesiac woman and um the the detective is is major you know the the recurring character what's his name who shows up in the fanfic also chrome yeah i'm an expert here and so mostly what i got out of it was figuring out something of the tone of early edition. And so I knew that he hmm. got, for example, tomorrow's newspaper today, but I didn't know that he got tomorrow's newspaper today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for uh, those of you not in the know or not as knowledgeable about the show as a motto is uh, early edition is a, I think I, it, Google described it as a uh, comedy slash drama, but it's mostly <laughs> drama. That yeah, I was going to say that, ran, that was funny to me. It was described though. <laughs> That ran on CBS from 1996 to 2000, I think, for about four seasons um, at the 9 p.m. and then the 8 p.m. time slot. It was a uh, yeah. TV show about a person in Chicago that receives tomorrow's newspaper uh, today with a, with a cat. Harry Hobson. <laughs> Magic yeah. cat that, that delivers it. For people who don't know, a newspaper is like a, like a blog that people used to read before, like, 2005 that would tell the news and events that happened like at most recent yesterday (laughs) (laughs) never tomorrow no um so then yes so then this person would get get tomorrow's newspaper see all the crimes and then they took it upon themselves to uh prevent all the crimes they could in chicago in one day every day (laughs) 
elements of Groundhog's Day, except he doesn't get a trial run or, you know, a million trial runs. Yeah. It's more than that. It's like, it's a story. It's a very character driven work. Like, Mm -hmm. some of my favorite shows when it was coming out at the time, you know, I was a child, but I did get a chance to rewatch part of the pilot today. And I was like, this is still like really good pacing and it's fun. And there, there is humor in it, but it's, I mean, it's mostly a drama, but the characters have like fun, you know, banter Um, and the acting's good. But the whole thing is like the, the thing that's never explained the show is in the first episode, Gary, the main character who gets tomorrow's newspaper today for (laughs) mysterious reasons, he's his wife throws him out and we never find out in the show why that happened like but he's broken up about about it right he's living in a hotel have you checked the the early edition wiki is there an article about that i mean i've seen the whole show and i did check the wiki we we never really get a clear picture as to why that happened but um I don't, uh, you, you may be right. Maybe there was something else in one of the episodes that I've forgotten, but I'm pretty sure it was, it was like, at least to the extent of like why he, the opening shot, I'm just going to say this is Gary comes home to their, their anniversary with like flowers and chocolates. And he's like, hi, honey, happy anniversary from outside the window. And she's like, watch out, and throws his suitcase with all of his stuff packed in <laughs> out the window, and it almost hits him in the head. Well, and you're just like, what? That's <laughs> nice uh, that they told him to watch out. <laughs> he's just very, it's very bizarre, like, disconnect. Right? He didn't even know that was coming. He had, like, no exactly. sense of it, huh? yeah. Anyway, okay. he's broken up about it, and he then starts getting this newspaper he feels a moral responsibility to help people you know to save their lives which he can he can change the future i guess um and so he abruptly quits his job as a stockbroker because he's already like why are we even doing this and he's still like miserable and depressed and lonely because he was divorced but he like throws himself full purpose into saving people's lives he's basically a superhero you know yeah like yeah that his traumatic backstory is that his wife kicked him out. <laughs> yeah, he ends up having the moral responsibility of Superman without any of Superman's powers. Right. Yeah, and the moral responsibility is very, like, a prominent theme in this fanfic specifically. Yeah. And in the show. Like, if yeah. it's very um, refrigerator horror sort of thing. <laughs> like, when you watch the show, like, like, yeah, that's fine. But it's like, every, you get the paper every day and... If you read it about somebody dying, you don't do anything, then isn't that killing them? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a rough lifestyle. Every day. But it's funny because he has a foil who's his best friend, Chuck, who like instantly uses the paper to like <laughs> trade on good stocks because he's also a stockbroker um, and like bet on basketball teams and ha- it doesn't, you know, doesn't care. Does, does he play the Gary ponies cares. with it also? He's like, I that's think. irresponsible. Well, I guess because when he does that, he stops getting the paper. Yeah. As soon as he does selfish stuff. That was a weird thing about the show. There was this weird, like, moral magic going on with the cat. (laughs) That There was rules. They didn't tell you. They just, Old Testament punished you when you did wrong. (laughs) Right. And there is, like, at one point, there's a group of, like, shadowy figures who can basically teleport and it's implied that they're like the beings that deliver the paper, but we never get that much information. Wasn't there an episode where they talked about like like the person who had the responsibility before Gary? 
Oh, yeah, they talk about him a lot. And Gary even gets to meet him, Lucius Snow. Right. Um, I think he discovers that he existed in like season one because he follows the cat and he realizes the cat still visits Lucius Snow. And right. then by the end of the show, <laughs> we realize that the power to receive the paper is passed on through this um, this pocket knife. What do you call this? Like utility knife, you know, whatever like you call it. Swiss that. Army knife? Yeah, Swiss Army knife. And the what? initials of the next person to receive it get engraved on it. Magically. <laughs> yeah. And so he, at the very last episode, I remember this because that was the episode, like, it, he passed it on to this little girl. And at the time, I was like, what if I was that little girl? It's <laughs> too much responsibility it was one of those for shows where I was like, oh man, that's what I want my future to be like. Yeah, learn the lore, motto. <laughs> <laughs> the lore goes deeper than I thought it did. And that's about of- it, though. That's not very much for four seasons. Well, all the information that I have to share before we actually talk about the fanfic is about um, sort of how I found the fanfic and the author and stuff. And I actually have a lot more to say than usual. Oh. Cool. Yeah. So here's what happened is like way early on when we were doing this, Tori, you asked about early edition fanfic. And I was like, <laughs> sure, I'll, if we can find a good one, then that's fine. But I couldn't find anything. And eventually, I just recently took another look and found something called the Eel Awards, E-E-L, that's early edition lover. And it was <laughs> fanfic awards for early edition. And you know how, like, some of these fanfic awards, they go on for years and years and years. This one went on for less than one year because they never actually finished it. As far as they got in, like, the year 2000 was getting nominations up. But those nominations included categories like best author, you know, best crossover, best romance story. And so I just looked at, you know, what there was there. Best author, best overall story, found some overlap there and chose someone who was nominated for best author and had a story nominated for best overall story and decided (laughs) to read that. And uh, that is Sand and Water by, I guess, Marily? 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 I'm not sure how you say their handle. Um, But that fanfic appears to have been published um, 2003. We, we also got a copy on fanfiction.net, but I'm posting to the ori- linking to the original posting on an early edition fanfic archive. Uh, you can find that link there at bit.ly slash rfrsand. Oh, um, no, go on. Uh, no, I, I, just one question before we get into motto. Um, what animal is sitting on top of the fanfics that arrive outside your door <laughs> every week, motto? <laughs> uh, all we get around here are like the occasional rabbit. It could be a rabbit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I like rabbits. That's like my, you know, childhood favorite animal because I had a stuffed rabbit. Yeah, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, every time I walk my dog in that neighborhood, we see a rabbit and it always like, she's always like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of rabbits there. So I... I've got more to say about this situation, though, because it's all very interesting. Oh. First off, looks like this was a small fandom, as might not surprise you all that much. I mentioned, you know, best author and best story. There were a couple other authors nominated both for best author and who had a story, you know, in the best overall story nominations. And two of them are the proofreaders for this story. Like at the start of Sand and Water, she thanks her beta readers, Peregrine, Anna, and Inkling. Those are two other authors who were in that same situation in the Eel Awards. Mm. Uh, but I just like, you know, I, I just chose the first one I could find because all I need is a reason to think something might be good. 
But here's the other, other thing. It's that this fanfic author became a successful mainstream author, you know, uh, suspense and science fiction, apparently, or suspense and um, post-apocalyptic. MP McDonald is their pen name. You can find them on Twitter at MP McDonald 2 just like you might expect to, set, to spell it. And the thing is, they've drawn on their early edition writing in their professional writing. Um, she was kind enough to like contact me, you know, respond to me when I contacted her by email. And she said, um, let's see, I'm now write novels. And my first few may have had a slight similarity to early edition <laughs> on her fanfiction.net profile. She says specifically, she's rewritten a couple of her early edition fanfics original stories. And so her most successful series, the Mark Taylor series has sold over 150,000 copies as of whenever the author wrote their fanfiction.net profile years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Here's the description from the author's website. Mark Taylor is just a regular guy, a photographer, who finds himself in an extraordinary situation when an antique camera he buys at a dusty Afghanistan bazaar produces photographs of future tragedies, tragedies he's driven to prevent. His efforts put him in the crosshairs of the U.S. government's war on terror. And so... Cool. I mean... You know, we run into a lot of fanfic authors who, like, went from that into successful mainstream publishing, but rarely so directly, I feel like. <laughs> well, I want to say something about that, because I think what made early editions so interesting to people is that it's it feels like a very tropey premise, like knowing the future and feeling responsibility. Like, in fact, it's probably like a, some, it's definitely some superpower. It's definitely some X-Men superpower or something. It happens. But the funny thing is that apparently early edition, I found on the wiki also inspired like, a Taiwanese movie. And like, there's been things that spun off it directly with the idea of receiving the paper. I, I felt like it kind of took the trope and like, made it into something super specific that people really latched onto. It's interesting. It's super cool. And incidentally, the author also wrote Quantum Leap fan fiction. And I feel like there's a lot of kind of... They made know, a Quantum Leap reference. In the <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too, even though like I barely know Quantum Leap. Um, but I just feel like they're kind of similar types of shows, right? Where it's like the character can be forced into a plot every episode as part of the premise. Right. Which means you don't have to worry about, you know, then then the plot can be whatever you want and it can do, you know, do whatever you want with the characters and like, you know, it's easy to get things moving um, in both those yeah. shows, I feel like. <laughs> and also it's, it's the similar type of character. It's a character who is highly moral and people like, right. you know, the same thing in Quantum Leap is, holographic psychic Al is always like, why don't you just get on with that girl? And he's like, I'm too moral. I'm in someone else's body. <laughs> and like in, um, in early edition, Chuck uses the paper to like get rich. And he's like, Gary, why don't you just use it to get rich and save people? And he's like, no, I have to save people. Or like, why don't you ignore it? Like, so there's mm -hmm. always that thing where it's like a foil who's like, I would use it for selfishly. And the hero who's like, no matter how much it hurts me, I'm going to save people's lives or help them. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I'm just really tickled by like the, the success of this author. It, it's really cool. And I'm happy that they got back to me on it. Um, her main comment about the story itself was that looking back, I think it may have been a tad melodramatic, but it was fun to write. <laughs> and also that 
she is a respiratory therapist and was able to use some of that knowledge in writing it. Oh, that explains so much. So much. <laughs> I was kind of wondering when I read it too. <laughs> I thought, did this person watch a lot of ER or are they actually a medical professional? That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> medical <Yeah>. professional. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was where I was leaning with it for sure. Well, just well let's jump into the story, shall we? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, just cut you off, Dom. Well, I, I just thinking because... When I was reading the fanfic, my mind was brought back to the time I watched it. And that was also the time I was watching ER. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> and like when we were talking about the device to like uh, incubate somebody, the thing that f- flips out. Uh, I was remembering like 20 million different uh, ER, the show scenes. <laughs> I was remembering House MD scenes because I watched that more recently. I was obsessed with that show. <laughs> <laughs> but they're both but Yeah, we watched ER too. <laughs> I feel like you and I, Dom, might have a similar experience of like watching primetime television with their foot, yeah. with like a parent, you know. Yeah, I, I had. I, I did not have that. <laughs> I had early edition uh, ER, um, CSI, a whole bunch of stuff mm. about things you really shouldn't be watching with kids. <laughs> totally, yeah, but like, I don't know. <laughs> it was just like that thing that you got to a certain age, and your your folks like. Or like one of your, your your parent or guardian finally let you stay up late enough to watch it, and it's like, oh yeah, I guess you can watch it with us, whatever. Yeah. I definitely I, remember times where my parents would like cover my eyes during like a sex scene in ER or something. Yeah, I think with my parents, it's more they just got tired of trying to like uh, shoo us away or stop us from sneaking in and watching, anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm surprised at the things my mom let me see because they were things that like embarrassed her. <laughs> Yeah, I, I still remember. I had that with um, "Whose Line Is It Anyway?" as a kid. Like I used to like sneak and watch, it, and they're like, "Just come in here. Don't you, you don't have to do that." <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, so we th- should get to the fan fiction. Yes, sand and water. Who wants to start us off? Kind of telling what the deal is with this story. It starts. It's. It definitely reads as an early edition episode in a way, but I don't think it's your average episode. Um, and by that, I mean that basically as we can go through the plot a little bit, but like, really it starts out like an average episode, Gary's saving people, blah, blah, blah. But he's obviously running himself ragged. And then Marissa has to, Chuck has already left for LA as happens in the series to like make it big as a screenwriter. Um, and Marissa has to go home because her mother has cancer. She has to go back to, I forget where she's from, but she has to leave the state. Mm-hmm. And Gary's doing everything by himself. And Crumb, um, who's running the bar at this point in the show, he used to be a detective. Now he's running the bar, and Gary owns the bar at this point. You know, for people who know early edition, Gary now owns a bar. He didn't have to start. <laughs> All right. There's a detective who used to be suspicious of him named Crumb. He's not suspicious of him anymore. In fact, he quit being a detective and now works at the bar. Oh, moving on. <laughs> um, basically, yeah, like... Yeah, but, but to the point, Crumb's not in on the secret, so he can't help directly with, like, getting all right. of this tomorrow's news tasks done. But the reason he used to be suspicious of him is because he knew that Gary knew, like, specific events in the future. He just... Gary was going to tell him what was up, and he was like, I don't want to know. <laughs> so that's kind of the weird part of this, is, like, at this point, he's like, I don't know what you do or where you go, but you're running yourself ragged, kid. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because, yeah, we can, I think, feel like we can cover the plot fairly quickly, right? Mm-hmm. The first part of the story is 
kind of this tension as Gary is kind of running himself down more and like clearly exhausted and not in very good physical shape, but also not able to take care of himself because people's lives are on the line. And also right. not and willing just, to reach out for help. Right. right. And like, you know, he, he doesn't want to like bother, um, bother Marissa while she's with her, you know, taking care of her mom. He doesn't want to kind of pull his friend. What's his name? Who's in LA now? Chuck. Chuck doesn't want to pull Chuck back into this since Chuck kind of, you know, is off starting his own life. And so the thing is, it it reaches ahead relatively quickly. At the end of chapter four, after doing a very apparently kind of standard early edition, very dramatic life-saving thing, yeah. he collapses. And like chapter five, he's in the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know what's and, funny about this is I he he ends up having pneumonia but I thought it was going to be related to the first scene where he saves a woman, but he gets his nose broken and then he decides deliberately not to go to the hospital. So I thought that a pneumonia was going to be related to like an infection because of that. But I guess that was just an illustrating point to show that he's not taking care of himself and like not going to the hospital and getting yeah. beat up. Yeah. Cause what ends up yeah. happening as we can say is that he gets pneumonia and it's related to a, uh, the what was it a spleen transplant or spleen i don't remember exactly spleen what it was. spleen removed octomy <laughs> splenectomy he yeah. had after he was involved in that bombing and uh, sometime in season two i think i think the medical term is spleen takey outie bye bye <laughs> that sounds right yeah right yeah, they, there's actually like kind of a moment of suspense in the story for about a chapter of them just like kind of trying to identify how he got this bad pneumonia. And there's a, a point where, you know, they're talking about it usually showing up in adults with a compromised immune system for some reason. He's like, could I have HIV? And for a moment, I was like, whoa, is this where the story's <laughs> going to be going? Yeah. But that's not where the story was going. There was some tension there, and I appreciated it because that, for the time, was very realistic. Yeah, like, I, I people, thought so too. Like, yeah. It was it was a worry that you would have, right? But like before, kind of all the diagnostics are through, or like you know, and this before they really figure out what's going on. There were like treatments or preventatives or like anything like that. You know, it was like a very serious issue at the time. I mean, it's still a very serious issue, but even more so at the time. More serious then, yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, so that's you know maybe a little more than a fourth of the way through the fanfic. He's already hospitalized. And then the tension ends up coming from other directions. I'd say kind of the second store, the second segment of it is sort of um, the support being called in, right? And that's kind of the middle third of the fanfic where Crumb's the only friend he's got around here. His parents are both traveling across America and not reachable because people don't have cell phones, like thing. Um, and, but Gary's still like, no, no, like, don't bother, you know, my friends, like they shouldn't fly out here. I'm just like in the hospital. It's fine. They're taking care of me. Um, which then eventually, you know, crumb has to leak out when they end up contacting for one reason or another. And so, you know, Chuck, as soon as he, he hears about this, gets super guilty over like the fact that clearly Gary was like taking on too much himself and flies back immediately. As soon as Marissa finds out, she flies back immediately. And, you know, they're there to be there for him, as you might expect. Yeah, but that's not where the fanfic ends. No, one could imagine a fanfic that had that arc. And it was like, oh, Gary, you should, you should 
be more willing to like reach out to your friends. And that, that is a message in the fanfic. That is a theme in the fanfic. Yeah. But that's not, that's not the arc of the fanfic. <laughs> yeah. It gets really intense. <laughs> yeah. It, it goes, it goes places I was not expecting because basically, and we're moving through this quickly, but I, I think it's a, an appropriate overview, right? Yeah. Um, Gary has, you know, a long recovery process and, you know, things are touch and go for a while there and it's all very tense. But even once he's kind of through the worst of the pneumonia and like his life is no longer in danger, he still has to like recover for weeks, you know, physically to get better. Yeah. And Chuck, of course, who is full of guilt over, you know, having kind of abandoned Gary and like not, you know, helping out with all this stuff is like, look, I'll take care of the newspaper stuff. Yeah, and then it goes. I, I feel like interesting places with that. <laughs> it's like you really expect Chuck to like uh, step up and like prove themselves and show what the, but like they get fed up pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, Gary even said that he was like, "Are you sure? Like, are you sure? Are you sure?" That's kind of where it goes, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he has good intentions. He's he's going in there trying to, you know. He wants to support Gary and like take this off his plate and, you know, deal with it. But it starts off with like, you know, the, the, not priority. What's the word I'm looking for? It's like the level of seriousness that, that Gary needs to see to like step in and intervene in something like is a lot lower than what like Chuck is willing to deal with. And so if like no one's dying, like to start off with, like Chuck starts complaining pretty quickly about like going and like fixing problems that, you know, no one was going to die. Like, it's fine. Like someone robbed a bank, whatever. <laughs> yeah. There was a fire, a fire in a restaurant. Uh, nobody died, whatever. Why, why do I have to do anything? Yeah. And I mean, you can see that point of view too. Like you can't fix everything. It kind of makes sense to triage it. And, you know, he has a couple of bad experiences, like, dealing with that sort of situation like with the, the bank robbery uh he goes south and he's like not able to like prevent it at all and he makes an embarrassment of himself and all this kind of thing but they then tries. he tries he does try there was another situation where i was like really like oh man right y'all remember what that one was the latrine the porta potty one yeah he was <laughs> that was nuts by the way but he was basically like I know. Did the old there was an old an elderly gentleman in an ex like a kids put some cherry bombs in the the um outhouse. An elderly gentleman like I don't remember if he died or if he got seriously injured, but it was like significant. But Chuck was just like, nah, I'm not gonna deal with, with that. Of course he eventually did, but like for some reason he had this moral justification of like but he's an old man, you know, or was that what that one was? Oh, no, it was more about the the drunk, like, teen. Um, oh, that's what that one was. The, okay, yeah. yeah. There was one where he had, like, a moral justification for, like, helping someone. Um, yeah, that's what, that that's where it kind of comes to a teen, head. Yeah. Because, I mean, in general, other than just, like, only feeling like they should bother saving lives, even with the saving lives, Chuck burns out pretty quickly. Yeah. And, like... Like you said, it, it, the, this lifestyle is crazy, right? Like you just kind of have to center your whole life around fighting these fires every day, right? Yeah. And so it, it, felt, it felt really interesting that the author wasn't just like, you, you know, 
the author let the character not be up to this, which I feel like was an unusual choice. And so, it's, yeah, Tori. It's fair for the character. I mean, yeah. it's exactly what. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, even though he's trying to be a good friend, like trying to be a good guy and trying to step up, it comes to a head where, like, Chuck is already kind of worn down. And there is this situation where some kid gets drunk and drowns in the ocean. And. Mm. You know, Chuck, who has come back and is like, just wants a good meal. He's been out all day, whatever. He's like, look, it's the kid's own fault. I'm not going to go risk my life or, you know, like, I'm not even going to interrupt this meal because I just like really need to sit down and have a meal to save this guy from the consequences (laughs) of his own actions. Gary was like, do you want to save a life or do you want to have lunch? He was like, I want to have lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And uh, I don't think there's any oceans in next to Chicago. Oh, there's Wait, not not, yeah. not ocean of uh, lake. What? Yeah. Where is it? The super big lake. <laughs> so that, that big lake next to Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Yes, the super big lake. That's what we call it. <laughs> I should probably. Um, know it is this. one of the super big. Uh, the, yeah, one of the super big lakes for right. sure. Um, <laughs> but you know, I do want to say I feel like we're kind of. Uh, I know I kind of fast tracked us into that because I was trying to remember all the things that happened with Chuck, but mm-hmm. before he even takes on the responsibility of the paper there's actually like a lot that happens with gary's health that's super dramatic yeah that is like true. yeah like you know like we mentioned he refuses to call on people until crumb finally realizes that he's in the hospital and calls everybody else and there's a really intense scene where chuck and marissa are standing in the room and Gary is like crashing, like almost dying. And what's super poignant about it, Marissa is blind, right? So she can't see anything that's going on. And like, there's a moment where after all this is happening, she's just listening to the chaos. And Chuck's standing there shocked and horrified as they're trying to revive him. And this is the part that was super medical where they bring up, you know, the, the scope, the metal scope that opens the mouth and they bag him and all that. And there's a moment where like everything's going on and it gets quiet. And then Marissa's like, is Gary, is he? And Chuck's like, oh my God, no, he's not dead. He's not dead. <laughs> he like, he, he loses, he forgets that Marissa can't like see because he's so distracted. And it was a really intense scene. And there's a lot of medical stuff like leading up before this. I just wanted to bring that up because those were well described. So no, the, you're right. uh, the, the second third of it is like an ER episode, you know, in a, yeah in a dramatic, effective way. Well, and very emotional for these characters. And so I guess the author's medical experience is really coming out there. Yeah, it's always fun seeing that kind of thing, like back with Tropical Storm, right, where the author had worked in in tech companies in Florida, and that was their thing. And so like that knowledge just oozed out of it. It's the same thing here. Um. Anyway, yeah, to wrap up the main plot, you know, Gary, who is, who still probably shouldn't be dealing with this stuff and should be staying home and resting, is forced to, like, go out and try to save this drowning kid. And, you know, um, Chuck comes in after him and kind of saves him in the problem. He was trying to save the kid, whatever. And then they sort of have this, like, final... Um, conversation about the paper and the paper responsibilities where you know chuck is guilty of course and but he also says i'm just not cut out for this sort of thing here and saving people 
is something you love. It's like what you live for, but it's not, that's not who I am. And I'm not going to be like that no matter how hard I try. And so he ends up going back to LA. It's yeah. interesting because I, I feel like out of all the pacing things in the story, the ending felt just slightly abrupt. If, I wasn't sure what I was expecting for the ending, but I was kind of expecting like one more thing at the end. I totally agree with that. Um, though I think what the author was trying to evoke was to reiterate Gary's sense of um, mm -hmm. it also said at the beginning that they were trying to say, you know, obviously he's going to die if he doesn't get help from the people around him. So to have Chuck, as you would expect the character to do from the source. So it's good. The characters are true to life goes back to LA. He's like, I can't handle the responsibility. That's basically what he did in the first. Right. Um, Marissa's still there. That's great. She's always been a good friend and like a kind person as well, but she can't help. She's got her own stuff, but it does feel like kind of a, like a non-resolution like the whole conflict was he's running himself into the ground at the point where he almost died and at the end nothing has changed yeah yeah there this was a series of incidents that happened i think there wasn't any real character arcs right um, am i missing something i mean chuck has a character arc of sorts, except he ends up in the same place just with a renewed, you know, it's kind of like one of those doubting, but then getting your, uh, your resolution back sort of arcs. Right. Except that in his case, he's doubting whether he wants to avoid the responsibility of the paper. And he's like, no, yeah, I want to avoid the responsibility of the paper, which is not the direction that such an arc might usually go. Yeah, I mean, it's ultimately a, re a responsible decision to come to, to not try to help when you can't, but like... Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, he he's aware of what he's able to do. And it kind of like makes me think of professions like, like medical personnel right where it's a it takes a lot of emotional work right yeah and it's easy to burn out or to like kind of let yourself suffer or be worn down by the pressures of that job and it's just not yeah. for everybody yeah well and, it, yeah. but it's not even for gary and that's the hard part about this ending is it yeah. ends with gary goes i understand chuck and gary was surprised to find that he did understand the paper had never been important to Chuck. It had been a lark and adventure while it lasted. The one that Chuck was more than ready to put behind him. This was the way it was meant to be. And then his friend says, if you ever need me, though, just give me a holler. He's like, yeah, Chuck, I will. And I think maybe the idea was that Gary was going to rely on Chuck as emotional support more. But really, I thought what was set up at the beginning is that he needed help beyond what he was getting. So it, yeah. it's a little confusing. It's like, what he comes to his conclusion is he finally understands Chuck, but that's not what was set up for us at the start. It was that Gary needs to not die from overexerting himself. <laughs> yeah, they presented several problems, but they didn't provide any explanation or thoughts on right. them, really. Yeah, and I mean, it might be also one of those... Um, you know, it's the type of story where the author is trying to allow it to fit within the continuity, right? Like there wouldn't be a conflict. This could be an episode of 
of early edition that would not derail other things that happened later on, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And and therefore, like the status quo does not get shaken up. Um, and I, I understand that, and I do still kind of appreciate that. Uh, it was it was a good read in that I didn't know where it was going several times. Like the dramatic tension was very good. I felt like, yeah, where I, I, I wasn't. Sh- yeah, I kind of had like anxiety about like what was going to happen at multiple points in the story. Yeah, the things they, the scenes they describe, the medical scene in particular, are very engaging, and it, it seems like, I mean, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but it seems like this fan fiction was was kind of set up in order to display those um, medical situations and those themes, and the and like they they also describe like the emotional state that both the person doing it and the people watching it experience when something like that happens all of a sudden. Yeah. 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 So it's it, certainly the strongest point and the central point of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And because of that, this fanfic was very moving. I was, yeah, I was moved re- reading it, but I'm, I don't have a point I haven't mentioned before. <laughs> yeah. You were just trying to say that like the character work seems kind of secondary. Yeah, it was more um, exhibition sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And for that reason, it doesn't quite seem like early edition. But at the same time, I can imagine it being like, I know, like a, a kind of like special episode where I just wish there had been more revealed. It seems like sort of a just stall or I don't know, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, while I'm thinking about it, Tori, you want to... Uh, tell us about that quantum leap shout out. Oh yes, <laughs> it's hilarious. So like, it, I love this because it's such a cute thing to see an author from this time period, you know, making references to another show I really liked when I was a kid. It made me think of being a kid. So Chuck is off in LA. He Gary finally gets a chance to talk to him. He hasn't had a chance to talk to him in a while. Chuck's telling him all about his new screenplay pitch. And he's like, oh, it's about a guy who um, travels to the future. And it's like very, it's quantum leap, but a couple of things change. Like he travels to the future and something else is different because in quantum leap, he can only travel into the past. Oh, I thought it was very specifically quantum leap. No, it was slightly different. I'm trying to find this again. It was called a, or like a quantum leap. I want to find it because it was really funny. But Gary has a response where he just kind of like thinks, oh, should I tell him? Oh, I guess not. Like, obviously, Quantum Leap exists in this universe. He doesn't realize he's ripping it off. It was kind of funny. I've got it. I see what's happening here. The author wrote a early edition Quantum Leap crossover called And Then There Were Two. The description is, Sam leaps into Chicago 1997 to save Gary Hobson. (laughs) And so when he's describing the situation, Chuck is describing that dream he had last winter, unquote, uh, where he had gone into the future and someone jumped into me, sort of trading place with me. And so he's it. pitching a show based on his experience of being, you know, shunted into the future because he was the leapy oh. in the Quantum Leap story. <laughs> Got it. Okay. And that's why his, you know, his, his pitch is just slightly different from like the main Quantum Leap premise right because they do the people go into the future when he when he leaps in the sand leaps in their bodies okay 
Okay, but still, it was weird that Gary's reaction was that because it seemed like he knew Quantum Loop was a thing, or maybe he knew that that happened. I, I don't know. I don't think he knows Quantum Leap is a thing. I don't think Quantum Leap exists in this timeline. I guess not, but like, why does he have the rea- reaction he does? <laughs> oh, like, should I question. tell him? I guess not. <laughs> Gary had almost dropped the phone at the mention of the title. If only Chuck knew. Well, that's got to be some something about the fanfic okay. crossover that the author read. I thought that was because he knew Quantum Leap was already a thing. That does change <laughs> it. Though. That would be funny if you... But I think you should maybe tell your friend if they're about to, like, you know, <laughs> step on to. Good point. That's, not, that's already a show. Yeah. <laughs> I thought maybe he just didn't want to bring him down, you know, at the moment. But anyway, all right. Mm-hmm. Anything else that we want to talk about kind of in the story over the course of it before we wrap up this discussion? Hmm. The only parts I have highlighted are the descriptions of medical things. <laughs> Is there anything you want to talk about with that or like want to read out? Well, like it was interesting because they described a lot what it looked like. Um, mm. What do I have here? Um, okay, now roll the other way. Gary obeyed, clinging to the side rail of the bed, as one nurse put a clean sheet on half the bed and bunched the excess sheet in a roll behind Gary's back. A nurse's aide had one hand on Gary's shoulder, the other behind his knee. She helped him to stay on his side. Gary Gary was grateful that she was there, because just the act of rolling on his left side left him breathless. His knuckles were turning white from his grip on the rails. It's little things like that where... Like the day-to-day life of somebody in a hospital that you wouldn't think about, but when you're there, you would be very observant, and it was described very specifically. I felt like I was watching it more than reading. Mm. You know? I love that in particular because that's exactly how you change a sheet. Yeah, like I've been a caregiver. <laughs> that's exactly how you do it. Like yeah. they knew what they were talking about, and those little details really brought it to life. Like, and it's weird because it's like I think for someone else who doesn't have that experience, they may have been like reading it like why are they being so specific but for me i'm like yes bring the details what the the experience (laughs) is is that like the author knows everything that's going on but like the way it's narrated and described is someone who doesn't know and who's uh seeing it for like the first time and experiencing it right because they also do that thing where they don't give specific names you know, to any of the things that they use medically yeah they, they describe what it looks like and what it sounds like what it seems like Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where they're that's like well they, they hear the medical professionals say bag him and then they describe the you know the purple squeezy thing that looks like a football <laughs> and then they assume that's what it means to bag him you know and yeah. it's like yeah of course if you ever watch a medical show you know but yeah. I, I liked the description was there but it was from the, the character's perspective you, you really inhabited the the perspective of someone trying to pick up things from context clues in a very hectic moment totally and like this was also a time before there were a ton of medical dramas. Like there was ER, but yeah, like not as many. So understanding that was not as common. I, I did recognize the uh, intubation tool from from ER. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. My favorite little medical detail is when Crumb, like how Gary's doing, and he asks you know what room he's in, and the nurse has a conversation with him, and you know he's in, he's been transferred to intensive care, and the nurse gave him directions and added quietly. You might think about um, becoming related to Mr. Hobson. Otherwise, they won't let you in to see him. 
And that starts a whole tiny little subplot where like Crumb is claiming to be Gary's father. And then when Chuck comes in, he's claiming to be, you know, Gary's brother. And they're both really bad at keeping that up, especially Chuck. <laughs> and, and Chuck's the one who gives away the whole thing. Yeah. And, but, but, you know, the actual medical professionals don't really care because, you know, that's the hospital policy, but if they're actually like friends of Gary's, that's fine. Yeah. And, and you know, it, yeah, it, it just like felt very like real and human in kind of like how the medical professionals are handling this. Yeah. Like the doctors and the nurses knew that there, there was nobody else that could help the person or knew the person that was in town. So like, of course it'd be nice to have someone around. Yeah. yeah, though I I feel like maybe I don't know. Like I appreciated it because the doctor was like, "I realize you're not related. I'm gonna pretend you're related still, even after he realizes it." And the nurse is like, "Just pretend." I don't think that's as realistic. Like I don't think like uh, like I understand that they're not caring and that's good if they're related because they care about the people who can help him but I don't think that's very realistic necessarily like a doctor especially <laughs> being look I don't care if you're related like let me just tell you anyway I think mm. it was a nice conceit for the story pretty much yeah it yeah. made the people seem really nice and I like that because that'd be more on the side of the doctors and such like knowing that they're on the side of the characters right Totally. And something <laughs> where they address that realistically, it would bog down the story in something that right, w- wasn't right. really worth it. Mm. It was cute. Uh, it was yeah. cute. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's not the longest story. It's, you know, less than 20,000 words. And I think we've talked through the main points. So let's start to close this out. We say things that we want to complain about in the story especially if we haven't mentioned them before, and then we praise things in the story on our way out. So what are our complaints? Um, I would say, I would say the, the story does seem kind of uneven in that like the, the middle part's the strongest and it, the, the latter third, while kind of interesting, doesn't seem like quite the same story. Yeah. I was going to say it felt like three some not similar but three different stories kind of strung together and it was kind of missing the momentum of a complete circle yeah yeah totally like they start out at the beginning very clearly suggesting that gary's running himself ragged then they put him in the hospital for over a third of the story and he almost dies like in a very dramatic way and at the end i don't know he accepts that Chuck doesn't <laughs> want to do the paper. Like it was felt right. it did feel incomplete. Even though each part sat by itself very well. I don't know if they came full circle. Yeah, and that's my major complaint. I mean, I've seen like no early edition, but you know, of the like ten minutes that I did see, uh characters seem to be in character and you know, the mannerisms seem to be in place and you know the writing is generally kind of strong and and pulling people along, I think. Um, do you have any other complaints? Not really. Marissa. Yeah, that is true. It's and very they, little Marissa. A lot of the time she's on screen, she's crying over Gary, which she does because she's a very like understanding person who cares a lot. But I wanted her to do more of her like badass stuff. Yeah, they brought Marissa in um, pretty late in the story when things were getting bad for Gary. Yeah. Not enough cats. 
Mm. There's a <laughs> usual amount of cat. Yeah. <laughs> Standard cat issue is, cat. Uh, cat is there to look pretty at the beginning of the episode, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And make noise. Yeah. Like the alarm rings and the cat meows and the cat <laughs> runs away. That's basically all the cat does. <laughs> Most of the time. There's some episodes where the cat's really important, but they're like few and far between. But yeah, it's the sound of the paper thumping in front of the door with along with the cat meowing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, in that case, what do we want to praise? The, uh, I'll, I'll say it again. The, um, the medical details and like the, uh, we didn't give any, any examples, but like when things were getting bad in the, in the hospital room and they, the way you described it, like you, you got nervous. I think I, I got nervous listening to it. They really did good portraying that, that sense of being there, being in the moment and how like, like this isn't like a huge TV plot. Like, there's no bomb in the hospital, and, like, (laughs) there's no supernatural ghost. It's just, like, this is, um, just somebody is sick, and you just just have to deal with it. (laughs) But they they make it feel emotional. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I also got nervous, and in a good way, where I was engaged with the reading. Yeah. I think that's the strongest point. And we've talked about that. I guess I also a little bit more explicitly the sorts of the sorts of events that Gary and then later uh, what's his face are trying to avert feel from my limited knowledge. They feel very early edition in an entertaining kind of way. They're all these like eventful things, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like sometimes ridiculous, sometimes serious, but all these sorts of like little modular eventful little things that like someone can go muck around with and avert right i wonder like the the flavor felt there i wonder if in the early edition writer's room there was just like a big like jar with a whole bunch of posted notes with a bunch of like (laughs) little events that happened that they could just pull out randomly a lot of newspapers to be honest like Mm. drawing on real world events Real future events. <laughs> oh, also, I thought that. Um, so, in the beginning of the story, they pr- they protect a kid that's fallen out a window and get gets kicked in the face, and then they start feeling sick, and then they have to uh, stop a murder. And they talked about the situation, and it felt like an early edition episode where like they had to, the clues and like the person working there that he's trying to get them to just help them. Damn it! But they, but they don't understand what's going on. And th- they had a woman there and like a murderer and they-, they ended up saving the woman. I thought that would turn into a plot line. I was wondering where that went mm. and why yeah. they had, why it was that involved if they weren't going to do something with it. You know, well, that's a really good point. Um, I mean, I want to give my praise, but I also want to pick up on the fact that I forgot that the woman he saved seems like a potential like romantic interest and so she's going to call him and she does but chuck's the one who answers the machine and he almost listens to the private message but then doesn't but we never get to hear that message from gary's perspective i actually missed that that's who that was calling on the machine because it was so long ago i'd forgotten (laughs) and like chuck skips the message he's like oh i'm not gonna listen to gary's personal life but it never comes up again 
Uh, oh. <laughs> Some things don't. Well, I think that good. was just more flavor, which, which you know seemed good. Yeah, I guess flavor of like Gary having a you know a, f- a broader life that is not being fully addressed, and of yeah. you know just kind of a, a Chuck character moment, right? Sure. I guess, but like <laughs> considering the show, like how few and far between Gary's like potentials for even like not just saving the world all the time or well, I guess saving just specific people and actually having a relationship are it seems like that should have been something more but I guess it does happen in the show too where he connects with women but he can never make it work because he's too busy right and that being said that's kind of my praise this is very on theme I like the author took this to the point where he actually gets so physically sick because that is his character flaw is that he pushes himself so hard. But it also brings up that conundrum of like, he keeps getting the paper, you know, like <laughs> he basically has to do this. I mean, he doesn't, he could choose any time to stop. And maybe that's what Chuck as a foil represents. It's like, maybe he should stop. Um, but I like that the author took it to where I think it should go. Like there, sh- there are definitely moments where he, his life is suffering from this, but like, if you imagine what he's really going through day to day, this would probably happen. Mm-hmm. He's saving every single person every day. He'd probably end up in the hospital. It was very logical. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, overall, I'm very glad that I was able to find an early edition story for us to read and enjoy. And I did enjoy reading it. And if you liked early edition or ER, then I might suggest checking out this story. Again, you can find a link there at bit.ly slash RFR. What did I say? Sand. Sand, that's what I'm going with. Oh, uh, why is it called, what's the title? Sand and... Sand and Water? Yeah. Why is it called Sand and Water? I assumed it was just kind of a reference to like the climactic saving the drowning kid's life, but there's probably something more metaphorical going on there, right? Oh, yeah. Might be a reference to something. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, that, that's a good leap of motto because, like, there's kind of the like the climax almost where Chuck doesn't want to save this kid, and Gary, and then he saves Gary because Gary almost killed himself saving the kid on the beach. Yeah, Sand and Water is an album released by Beth Nielsen Chapman. I don't know if that that's what it is. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't sound quite right. Um. If this kind of early edition story appeals to you, then you can also check out MP McDonald's writing. There's mpmcdonald.com. The first book in that Mark Taylor series, which seems to be early edition, early edition, early edition inspired. First book is called No Good Deed, um, a psychological thriller. (laughs) And let's see. And I guess we're going to close it out. I don't think I have a next week fanfic decided yet. So I don't have anything to say right now. And Don, you can just edit this out later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or not. If people just want to hear my voice more. I know well, I do. I know I do. <laughs> I, I assumed I, they did. Why do you think I started this podcast so I can read fanfic? No. So I can listen to more <laughs> of voice. Who wants to read fan fiction, right? <laughs> Great. Not me. That's not even official. I mean, if people's anything. lives weren't riding on this, I would not be keeping this up every week. <laughs> uh. 
as for this, this was episode 89 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective. Sand and Water by Mario Lee was the former t- uh, handle, but MP McDonald is the author's author name. I, I like the, the writing, though. I, I'd check out some of the other uh, stuff they wrote. Yeah. Seems, promi- seems promising. If I had time to read other things, I might too. <laughs> <laughs> the intro song for the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find this album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can find us on Twitter or Reddit or uh, Instagram or Facebook at retrofanfic or occasionally retrofanfic retrospective. You can also send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com or you can leave comments or reviews on the podcast service that you use. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Dom. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other today. Until next time, take care. So you're fanfic rabbit, right? Does it does it leave you like a floppy disk in front of your door? <laughs> yeah, but I've never been able to read them because I don't have a